Welcome to the podcast of Azel Christian Church. We are a Disciples of Christ Church community in Azel, Texas. We invite everyone to be who you are with us, the doubting, the believing, the wondering, and everything in between. On this podcast, you'll hear our pastor, Reverend Ashley Dargai, preach on how the expansive and generative love of God is seen through Jesus, the prophets, the early church, and the faith forebears, and how this love helps us care for the world more deeply and faithfully. Sometimes it's messy and tough, but it's good news, and it is for you. All right, our text for today is John 15, 9 through 17. It's on the back of your bulletin if you want to follow along. As Abba God has loved me, so have I loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I kept my God's commandments and remain in Abba God's love. I have said these things to you so that my joy will be in you and your joy will be complete. This is my commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I don't call you servants any longer because servants don't know what their master is doing. Instead, I call you friends because everything I heard from my father I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you could go and produce fruit, and so that your fruit could last. As a result, whatever you ask, Abba God, in my name, God will give you. I give you these commandments so that you can love one another. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We've been journeying through a series about membership at Azel Christian Church for the past few weeks taking pit stops at all the defining characteristics of members of ACC. Things like outreach, stewardship, gathering, communion. And today our focus is the practice of evangelism. And has there ever been a word that both Christians and non-Christians cringe at more? Quite a few years ago, a very particular type of evangelism conference was happening in Fort Worth over the weekend. And one of those nights, I went to Barnes & Noble to peruse some books, a wild Saturday night. And as I turned the corner to a new aisle, two older men were standing there with shirts on with the name of the conference on the front, waiting. And as soon as I made furtive eye contact, one of them asked me if I was a Christian. I replied enthusiastically, yeah, I love Jesus. Sold out. Thanks. Have a great night. But they stopped me again and said, well, What does it mean to be a Christian? How do you know where you're going when you die? Though a little taken aback by their persistence, I started quoting scripture, as one does, but they seemed convinced that I did not really know what it takes to be a Christian. So they interrupted me and said, no, no, show me where you're getting that. Even the devil can quote scripture. Well, I grew up doing Bible drills, so I walked right over to the Bible section of Barnes & Noble and pulled one down and opened it quickly to the book of Romans and started reading the exact thing I had quoted just a moment ago. But my stress cortisol had already skyrocketed during this exchange, and adrenaline was coursing through my body, and I felt intimidated because here I was, a young woman being accosted by two men trying to Jesus-juke me, 
So I started spouting off a bunch of other things, like I read my Bible every day, and I go to church twice a week, and I've tithed since I was 12 years old, and here's the date of my baptism, and this is the name of my pastor. Gender and safety dynamics of this weird encounter notwithstanding, it felt like I was being vetted for a secret agency. They eventually decided that I was probably a Christian. So they left me alone and went on to find other prey. I mean, they went on to pray. <laughs> and to top the evening off, as I walked out of the bookstore feeling really icky for a reason I couldn't quite put my finger on in that moment, I saw something on the ground that looked like a wad of cash. We all know where this is going, right? I picked it up and realized it was actually not cash, but rather a booklet made to look like a $20 bill crumpled up that held inside a five-step process urging the reader to ask Jesus into their heart or go to hell. Wild Saturday night indeed. For some, this is what they mean when they say evangelism. Coercion, intimidation, guilt, all microcosms of larger evangelistic efforts that we now call crusades. But what matters is in this understanding of evangelism is litmus tests and numeric growth and purity tests. If you say you're a Christian already, first of all, bummer. And second of all, are you the brand I'm looking for? This is not what we're talking about today. So release your shoulders, let out a breath, relax. This is not what we mean by evangelism. There will be no tracks to pick up on your way out, okay? But let's be nerdy for a second. The word for gospel in Greek is where we get our word evangelism, euangelion. It means good news, a phrase we throw around a lot, I'll admit. I comment on Facebook statuses all the time with, this is good news for the people of God. Picture of graduation, Good news for the people of God. Picture of you posing with your vaccination card. Good news for the people of God. You eating tacos on a patio. Good news for the people of God. And I mean it with my whole heart. But let's think about this phrase for a second. Good news. What constitutes good news? Let's start with the word news. News does not necessarily equal information. The mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. That is information, but that, has, that does nothing for me this morning. What am I supposed to do with that? So news is not simply info. It has to be relevant to the receiver. It needs to be contextual, and it needs to be specific. Now, if the mitochondria in my cells were malfunctioning, that piece of information would become news because it is contextual and specific to me. But news also needs to be contingent. It can't be amorphous or nebulous. It's not an objective fact or isolated piece of information floating in the stratosphere. I'm dropping all my science words into this sermon. I don't have that many, so there they are. News has to be dependent on something. So if my cells had malfunctioning mitochondria, 
I would be in a predicament. This information would become news in that it would require a response. What am I going to do about my malfunctioning mitochondria? Medication, lifestyle changes, medical procedure. Even if I choose to do nothing, that's still a response. And also, news is not a direct equivalent of truth. Something can be true, but not news. So if I found out 10 years ago that my mitochondria were malfunctioning and had since taken action to treat it, and you came up and told me today, Ashley, your mitochondria are malfunctioning. That would be true, but it wouldn't be news. It wouldn't require a response from me. It does not put me into a predicament. Likewise, if you told a random person in Pennsylvania that a person in Texas had malfunctioning mitochondria, but random person does not, that does not qualifies qualify as news to random person because it does not put him into a predicament or require a response. My predicament does not affect him. So news has to be contextual and specific and contingent on the receiver. So that's nerdiness part one. Nerdiness part two. We're, we've already exhausted the idea of relevance of news to the receiver but we also need to consider the credibility of the giver of the news. If a person walked up to me on the street and said, your mitochondria are malfunctioning, I would just keep walking because what does this person know? But if my doctor told me that after a series of tests, then I would listen because she has done the due diligence to find out that information about me and deliver it. Now the person on the street could have been saying what is true and what I would find out is true later in the doctor's appointment, but because that person does not have credibility to deliver this news in my eyes, then it's not news. And likewise, the news has to be possible. You might have been wondering the past few minutes if malfunctioning mitochondria is even a thing. Well, you'll be glad to know your preacher fact checks and it is indeed a thing. You can Google it, but don't depend on me to explain it because my strength is in the philosophical and theological argument, not on biological realities. But if it were not a thing, and a doctor said, you have malfunctioning mitochondria, that would not be the news. The news would be that the doctor should not have a medical license. So news is a loaded word in this phrase, good news. And we'll get to what Jesus might mean by good momentarily. So what does all this parsing out of news have to do with this text in John? The scripture that we read together today is a continuation of Jesus using the vine metaphor to talk about himself and his disciples. And his message over and over again in various iterations in this reading is for us to live in his love and love others. He calls us to love as God loves to abide in God's love. But this commandment, this call to abide in love, is not the same as emulating love. Jesus makes it clear that he's not a role model or guru. In the vine and branches metaphor, it becomes apparent that Jesus' love is not our example, but rather our source. His love is where our love originates and deepens and where it replenishes itself. And because of this, Jesus' commandment is not 
that we wear ourselves out trying to conjure love from our easily depleted resources, but rather to abide in the holy place where divine love becomes possible and is indeed in abundance, to quite literally make our home in Christ's love. So then the good news of this text is that our home is love. It's where we go to rest and recuperate, to be safe and nourished. It's the love of Christ, God's own heart. It's where we end and where we begin. And Jesus says this famous line that encapsulates the gospel that we see revealed in Jesus. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And he goes on to say to his disciples that you are my friends when you do this. You are not servants or slaves, two sides of the same coin in scripture, but friends, equal partners in this gospel endeavor. And this laying down of life is not martyrdom. It doesn't call for us to hustle and grind and wear ourselves out and down in the name of good or good works or productivity or cost efficiency or a good name or whatever. But it is a costly love, an extravagant love, a love that seems to be wastefully spent, but paradoxically does not let one person one iota of creation, one mitochondria go to waste. And this costly love that we live in and become not only frees people, but it also elevates them. Servants become friends. It's a love that is always elevating the other. It's not a love that corners people less powerful than them in a bookstore or tricks people with a clever marketing scheme. It is not coercive or subordinating, but rather it is liberating and empowering. But while all of this is true, and all of this is good, is it news? The idea that God loves us is not always news. Some of you have been hearing that for a long time. And while it is good, it is not news. It does not put you in a predicament in which you need to respond. Perhaps because you responded a long time ago and continue a lifestyle of response. You may always be learning how to make a home in God's love, but you are at least in a familiar place of belonging. But I wonder about who might find this home unfamiliar but who have a home here in Christ's love nonetheless. Might there still be contextual situations in which this is both good and news? If you've heard your whole life that God loves you, but you're not sure if there even is a God, and you are beaten down by the list of demands Christians can put on you, and a body of people say, says, it's okay if you're not sure. Me neither. Have some coffee. We'll ask questions together, and I don't worry what conclusions you come to about God. I don't care. I love you. For me, that means that God is loving you. And that's enough. Well, that's good news. 
If you're a queer teenager in the Bible Belt and you hear that God loves you as you are, well, that's news. Incredible news. Certainly changes the air pressure in the room. If you have heard your whole life that prayer and faith are all you need to cure your chronic depression, and then you hear that God's love and healing can actually come through Lexapro or Prozac, producing and stabilizing the serotonin in your brain, that medication is a gift from God. Well, that's news. Very good news for the people of God. If you're poor and without stable housing and you come around here asking for money, to, ready to do the song and dance of charity and performative gratitude, but we care only that you get the resources you need and not that you say a proper thank you or cry or suddenly and magically get all your ducks in a row because we as a church have decided that it's not our money. It's God's and for the people of God, and that means you. Well, that's good news. So how might we contextualize this costly, elevating love of Christ so that it is indeed good and news to our community? How might we transform our commitment to the familiar home of God's love into an inviting, hospitable home for others who have been kept away because of unqualified gatekeepers? What is the good news that Azel Christian Church has to offer? What specific, contextual, contingent news do we have to share? And do we have the credibility to offer it? And is what we're offering even possible? And while we're thinking about what evangelism we can do as a church, perhaps we might ask who is already evangelizing us. In our very congregation, or in the outer reaches of our church community, in the people who are consistently problematizing our idea of love, who is offering us news? And how will we respond to that news? I don't have the answers to these questions. But I do know that we are a people who is making our home in Christ's love. And from that place of abundance and rest, we will become love too for this time and place. This is good news for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Azel Christian Church podcast. Azel Christian Church exists to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through meaningful liturgy during worship, a public witness through outreach in the community, the nurturing of the spiritual life of every age group, and the witness of each member through discipleship, baptism, and the sharing of resources. To support this podcast and the ministries of Azel Christian Church, visit azelchristianchurch.org. Here you can contribute through giving online or find our Venmo information. If you're looking for a church or simply want to talk to one of our ministers, contact us through our website and we will be in touch. Talk to you soon.